Welcome back to another episode of Pickups the Podcast, the podcast where we go back and unravel the greatest movies of all time. I am your host, John Michael Powell. I am Zachary Ray Sherman. I'm Sean Harrison Jones. And today we're going to be tackling the 1988 Italian film Cinema Paradiso, directed by Giuseppe Tornatore. It is a quintessential kind of, you know, Hollywood movie. Well, a, ho- a movie about it's Hollywood. A lo- that it's, a, it's a love letter to Hollywood movies. It is a love letter to Hollywood from an Italian man. Uh, and it is kind of quintessential. I feel like, I feel like this was basically the the if Martin Scorsese or Scorsese uh, <laughs> were were an, a little Italian boy growing up in Sicily mm. in the fifties, and say, this would have been his life story. I yeah. feel like Martin Scorsese slash Scorsese really loves this movie, and he and 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 for good reason. And for good reason. But before we get into Cinema Paradiso, let's talk about the news, guys. Uh, anything you guys want to talk about? There was that article that you brought up. Oh, right, right, <laughs> the political one. Okay, we're gonna get it. We're gonna get into okay politics. Here we go. In uh, Hollywood Reporter, there was a I thought an interesting article. The headline of the article read: "When filmmakers ignore the political right, is that financially wrong?" Uh, written uh, the article is written by Tatiana Siegel. Um, it goes on to say that conservative creatives say the industry is leaving a giant pile of money on the table by neglecting Trump supporters and other right-leaning moviegoers. Obviously, with what? You guys, with you, what? Well, you guys are familiar. Are you guys? You guys must be familiar of the the fallout of the Gina Carano. Uh, yes. You know, Mandalorian. So Gina Carano was let go from the Mandalorian because she. You know, she she had a, a handful of gaffes on in, on social media, but her latest one that really drew some ire was that she kind of compared uh, conservatives, modern day American conservatives, to Jews in the Holocaust. Uh, which is, you know, if you're going to work for Disney, probably a hardline stance to take and 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 hope to continue to work Jeez. for uh, for Disney. A lot of people have complained that. You know, this is more cancel culture, like Carano got fired because she was just, you know, stating her political opinion and that Disney is coming down on that. I I don't know how you guys feel. I mean, I I know how you guys feel, but I take a little bit of a more uh, core. I mean, if you put yourself in the shoes of the corporation, uh, corporations inherently aren't political. They don't give a shit one way or the other if you're liberal or conservative. If you make them money. They will, they will embrace you. That is the way corporations work. And I think the, the truth of the matter is, is just her stance didn't help the corporation make money. And it became, not only did it not help them make money, it became enough of a hindrance where they said, oh, well, we'll have to let you go. I don't think it's political at all. I think it's just about money. Um, but the wake of that conversation is that Carano is a conservative. Uh, I, I believe she's a Trump supporter. Um, she's now leaving uh, Mandalorian to go shoot a movie with Daily Wire, which is like a, a notorious, I think, and I didn't know who Daily Wire was until the Carano issue, but mm-hmm. I think they're a right-wing uh, media publication online. And she's going to make a movie with them that is obviously uh, geared towards right-wing conservative politics. Mm-hmm. But, you know, um, it's not just Carano. Like, the, the, the article talks about uh, Milius, John Milius, right? The, the, the famous, he directed Conan, or wrote Conan the Barbarian. Was, and he, a, of, was he a big conservative? I don't know what Milius, in my, mind, in my mind, I don't know Milius's politics. I don't really care about people's politics yeah. one way or the other when it comes to entertainment. Yeah. But my, 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 in my mind, Milius is the surfer dude who, like, has a handgun 
and like writes dirty Harry movies. Like that's, he's the, and I mean, for those of you who didn't know, John Milius is part of the inspiration for Walter Sobchak from The Big Lebowski. So oh, I did not know that. Anyway, this is all to say that the, that his daughter, Amanda Milius, made a, a, a documentary called The Plot Against the President, um, which came out last year and is is very, you know, it's about how there was a conspiracy to take down President Trump. Wow. She says in the article, you know, this is her quote, if Hollywood is going to make an ideological business decision to not produce content that the majority of American want, Americans want to see, I don't have any problem with that, Milius tells uh, Hollywood Reporter, because they're leaving a giant pile of money on the table, and my company has no problem taking that money. Uh, she has been pleasantly surprised by what she dubs as huge DVD pre-sales and an unexpected appetite for her film in Japan. So then then this comes back to, to the question, uh, when filmmakers ignore the political right, is, are we financially wrong? Are we, are we letting go of an entire uh, sector of the industry that we should be um, thinking about? It's, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's, it's so complicated because these sides are so divided and the heat is so hot and you can't define it. But I guess my point is like, what are they trying, what is the right saying is not being made? Because it feels like what they're asking and desiring to be made is propaganda that pushes their agenda. And they're saying that's all that Hollywood is making. I just don't, I don't, I'm, I'm lost at it all because what are we not making? You know, what are we not making? What is being, what are you, what are, what are we missing out on? Yeah, I yeah, I I I feel like there's already a you know and and maybe I'm the wrong demographic obviously as I don't, you know, I skew extremely left. Uh I I I feel like there's already a lot of content that does represent uh conservative viewpoints and, you know, conservative values or whatever. I mean, don't you guys think that there's already content being made that that middle America and anybody do, who does have who 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 does consider themselves actual Republicans or you know um, who, I think who, there is probably a, a good amount of moderate conservative programming. You okay. know, you could make the, yeah. you could make the you could probably make the argument that the rise of uh, you know these religious films like this wasn't a thing that was around fifteen years ago. These like. Greg Kinnear, you know, uh, angels on my shoulders. So I think that is a conservative viewpoint that is being catered to, but I think it's a moderate conservative because Mm -hmm. the truth is, you know, religion is pan political. Like there are a lot of religious people on the left. There are a lot of Mm -hmm. religious people on the right. So I think what people like Carano who tend to skew a little bit further, right. Feel like their viewpoints aren't really, catered to in Hollywood films. And I don't disagree with that. Again, though, I'm going to go back to the corporate stances. I don't think that's a marketable yeah. viewpoint in Hollywood right now. Now, obviously, they're making the argument that, hey, there's all this money on the table. They're trying to say to Hollywood, like, look, there is this this desire to, to, to watch f- content that is skewing further right. Um, and I... 
look, maybe they're right. Maybe there is money to be had on the table that that we're, that Hollywood isn't. Go do it. Go do it. Go convince the people with the money and make your sh- whatever. Exactly. Go do it. Exactly. I mean, I, I really agree with and like what Zach Braff said about it on his podcast. I, I, I happened to catch this. and I don't know if you guys did, but he, he basically said about, about specifically about Carano and what happened. He said, you can say whatever you want. You know, that's that's freedom of speech. But you can't say whatever you want and work for Disney. That's just you just you just you just can't do that. And and really, objectively, you should never make a comment about the Holocaust. People just don't like that. I you know, just just don't just don't just don't do it. Like unless you're saying something that's honoring the victims, just shut the fuck up about that. I, mean, I understand that the, the right the, and the far right think that Hollywood is just leftist propaganda, but I guess I'm curious what you guys think. Like, why, why does it seem like the majority of entertainers and people in media lean left? Why can is I, that well, right? Is can that I wrong? Ask you, can I ask just a question? Like, give me an example of left-leaning entertainment. Good point. I mean... Like, are the Marvel movies left-leaning? Right. I mean, right. are the... What, is right. Star Wars left-leaning? Yeah. I mean... It's about Star Wars is about rebels fighting an alliance. It's like the wet dream of of anti-government, you know. Yeah, right. You, you know, rebels. So like I'm trying to think of what mainstream narrative is liberal leaning. I, to me Hollywood is if anything uh anti-political. Like I think it tries its best not to stay apolitical. I, I when like Oliver Stone's movies are probably clunkers when it comes to box office, right? I mean, right? like they. they I mean, they, you're they, probably right. I'd have to go back and see how his movies. I mean, to be fair, like Oliver Stone probably hasn't had a a, a, a successful movie in thirty years, twenty five years. But I think people want to keep their politics over to news TV, and they want to keep their movies over to, you know, fantasy land. And that's why conservatives get so pissed when Sean Penn is in a movie because the guy won't keep his opinions to himself and then they're just angry that this man well, is even... Well, that's interesting. That I didn't think about, and that's a good point. I guess a lot of it has to do with the narrative around the movie and right. the talking And Hollywood, not... yeah. Yeah, and well, Hollywood, yeah, it's like, yeah. it's like you know, uh, uh, acceptance speeches at these awards, they always talk about that stuff because right. that's Sean, their... Sean, Sean Penn, when he won for Milk, said, I'm a commie pink you know love i i mean these but uh, this is my i don't the 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 america just needs to chill the fuck out and get along and like, i agree <laughs> yeah i agree that's the truth God. no i no i i i agree and it's like it's right now especially it's hard to you know i think it's it's i want to listen you know and and always try to be understanding of of any other human being's viewpoint except Except right now, just on, you know, at the very least on the surface, right now to me on the surface, the Republican Party represents white supremacy. That's right. And anti-COVID-19 and, uh, uh, you know, like um, uh, defending, you know, ins- insurrection. We said we're not and, getting political, but yeah, I know, I know, but I, I know, but I, you know, but I, I just, I gotta, I gotta speak my truth, baby. Yeah. You know, but it's, it's just, you know, it's, I think it's, I think the reason why it's easy for it to be divided right now is because that side seems to on the surface and I don't want to offend anybody, but it's the truth. And it's my opinion 
that it just seems to represent some really fucking bad things. Well, and I think to play devil's advocate, the other side, the that side, the right wing side would say that the left wing side is is the counter to that and that they're pushing the buttons too. And the truth of the matter is, it's the news media bullshit that yes. is pushing both yeah. sides right. against each other and pitting it as some kind of battle. Yeah. When when the truth is we're all Americans and we yeah. all are have our own struggles and like we have a complex history of race and and politics and and, and you know, social strife, and we are a melting pot, and it's complex. But, but the news media is is using both sides and pitting them against one another, and this is just a further example of it. I think is yeah, like yeah. these very skewed to the right voices, you know, wanting more of the pulpit. They, you know, I think you're right, Zach. I think Fox News showed them that they could have a loud voice, and and that you know, lots of people tune into Fox News. And they want that, uh, you know, on a cinematic level. And I, and look, Hollywood. Okay. Well, but I think Hollywood I is Hollywood does must have a lot of right wing leaning people. It's not like people come to Hollywood just, you know, it's not liberals who just come to Hollywood wanting to tell stories. Like we are, like I said, we are a melting pot. So what I, what I do want to take umbrage with with this article is that somehow this article make it. What pisses me off is that this article makes it out to be like. Filmmaking is just a money grab, mm. and like, how are we leaving? How are we leaving behind so much money that's onto the right side? It's like, should we be asking the question like, why are we leaving this big bag of money on the right side of the the political spectrum when we could be making this content? Should we be asking like, why are movies so expensive to make? Why? 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 Like billions of dollars. Like it's kind of absurd. Like I know I'm in the industry and I'm obviously living and dying by the industry, but I think this 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 idea that I'm 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 very anti-capitalist in a way, or cor- I'm not anti-capitalist. I'm anti-corporation, and I think corporations never have the best intention for their labor. I think right. it's their mo to suck up labor, grind them to a pulp, and then spit them out and find new labor. And I think the stance that this article takes is a little bit too corporate mentality yeah. for me it's like yeah. it's like that money money is the only reason to make movies and right. like the headline is asking is it financially wrong when filmmakers ignore the politically right and my question is like is it finance is it wrong to be thinking about financials in that way yes yes i i, I don't know yeah, I, yeah go bring your story to life and find a way to do it but let just do that and if that's that if that's what she wants to do go do it but i mean you talk about right right on the conservative right free markets are a big conversation so like free market capitalism this is exactly that corona corona can go make her movie and like let the free market say what it wants to say about your movie if it if it's thirsty for that content it will tell you if it's not your movie your movie's gonna fly under the radar and nobody's gonna even watch it let's get into this week's feature let's get into let's get in before we do that i I think we should maybe apologize a slight bit of apology we have kind of fallen off the radar for a week or two and but that's for good reason because our buddy uh, Zachary here became a farmer. That's right. Straight up. Hee-haw. He bought a house in rural Missouri, and he's going to move to a farmhouse in rural Missouri and become a farmer. Well, you send your job offers by uh, mule, and yeah. uh, I'll I'll show up on a horse. Poor Zach has but been, I've been in the throngs That's right. I've been of... moving and getting a house prepped to sell, and I've been tied up, and we haven't been able to do this podcast, and these guys are so graciously letting us wait for a week to record this. So you 10,000 listeners out there, thank you for, for <laughs> 
for waiting an additional week. But you too, I super appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. So, all right, I guess uh, let's dive into Cinema Paradiso, yeah? Let's mm-hmm. hit it. Cinema Paradiso! Yes, where movies are king. Cinema Paradiso is directed by Giuseppe Tornatore. It was written also by Tornatore. Stars Philippe Noret, Jacques Perrin, Antona, Antonella Attili, Pupuela Maggio, and Salvatore Casacchio. And Salvatore. Let's give that guy an Oscar already. Salvatore. That little boy. Also, very important, the boy, Salvatore. Amazing. But let's point out, too, that... Um, Ennio Morricone did the, the music very that. famously. Uh, you guys might have heard of him. He's like only the most famous composer of all yeah, time, probably. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, so the plot of Cinema Paradiso, kind of, kind of simple in a way. It basically, the film opens up in uh, World War II era Sicily, and you are following uh, eight-year-old boy Salvatore. He's like the mischievous uh, rug rat of this small little town in Sicily. His name is uh, his nickname's Toto, so everybody calls him Toto, which is very, very even a throwback there as to like Wizard of Oz. Yeah. But Toto uh, is this little precocious kid who just kind of bugs the local uh, projectionist at uh, the local theater in town. It's called Cinema Paradiso, is the theater. And Toto befriends Alfredo, who is the the projectionist. And really, the the story is a multi-era story following Toto as he really falls in love with cinema. And and the Cinema Paradiso, the theater itself, becomes the kind of nexus for the culture and the entertainment of these disparate characters in this little town. And how really the movie is about how cinema plays a part in in our lives. And you really follow Toto's trajectory from being an eight-year-old boy to him going off to fight in the war to him coming back years and years later as, uh, you know, not to spoil anything, but he comes back years later as a matured film director in Rome and uh, comes back to to revisit his home, his little hometown and see all the uh, Wizard of Oz type faces that he grew up with. Um, and that's really kind of what the movie is about. I mean, on a very you know broad scale, it's playing on the charm of of film and the charm of Hollywood and the charm of, of cinema. The importance of movies and what it means to us or what it meant to us. I was reading a Roger Ebert's review this morning to get uh, reacquainted with the movie because it's been a minute since I watched it, and he said, you know, this was a, 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 this was set at the timeline before television, and that meant everything, you know, where mm, where right. where the they just congregated in this cinema, and ev- it's. But boy, it's a it's so beautiful. Yeah, I gotta I gotta say, and I I know that this is a bold statement, but I honestly believe, in in my personal opinion, that this film, above any other that's ever been made, um, I think it encapsulates and celebrates the the communal experience of cinema going better than any other film ever made. I honestly believe that. Like, if, if we're talking about just that one aspect, no other film has nailed it better, I don't think. No, I think e- even, even more so than, like, Muppets in Space? <laughs> <sighs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I, I forgot. I, <laughs> shit, man, I got to think about this I, 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 do, I do agree with you. It, 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 it just it felt so vivid. I was surprised. I don't know if you guys noticed this. Afterwards, I went back and, and was reading interviews with the director 
a lot of it actually didn't come from his life. And it's like it, it, it that was that was surprising to me because it felt so vivid, like these moments that were captured in the theater, it felt like they were his childhood memories that he was just like, oh yeah, there was a guy that would fall asleep and we'd all wake him up and then he would start screaming at the audience. That just felt so real to me. But you have every, I don't know, the the excitement and uh, joy of having all of these people packed in this dark room watching these stories unfold and their disappointment when they couldn't watch the movie again or they it's just I've never seen it perfectly captured like that yeah I mean I think the 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 thing that this film pulled off that's really really hard to do is to toe the line between schmaltzy yeah and And to make sentimental work to make sentimental work and it's hard it, it's so easy to go over that line and it becomes it becomes melodrama and this movie somehow has this charming ability to have one foot in melodrama and one foot in reality and it and it kind of like stands on the on the equator of both and and it does so in this very methodical very like the movie's not fast it's not quick it's it's snaps of little moments i mean there are moments where you're sitting there watching the screen and you're watching a hollywood movie and 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 you know the director uh will just let things breathe yes and it's just got its own rhythm that just completely and utterly works it's just charming i think it's a really good lesson john michael you've cut two movies that we've made together micro budget yeah. movies and you've always said and this is a great lesson like you have to earn this moment like yeah. you have to build it and earn it otherwise it's going to fall flat and this yeah. movie is a is a textbook in earning those moments because those moments are so delicious and so tasty here like it's i can't believe that it works but it but they work i i completely they work. yeah I agree. They work. I think I think the direction, the child actor, and Ennio Morricone's score mm. all work in conjunction in a way that just like, you know, the sum is greater than the, right. the you know, the, the the equal of the parts or whatever that f- stupid phrase is, you know, the sum is greater than the parts. But um, it just, the sauce that has been cooked up here just works. Well, you know what, you know what's crazy is that- It I, tastes great. Uh, it's like tasty on meatball. <laughs> you, you know, you know what's oh, funny God. is that I, you know, and I, I feel bad commenting on this because I haven't seen the quote unquote director's cut, but I did read a few reviews and the reviews yeah, there were- There is a director's cut of this, yeah. That the director's cut is not as good as the theatrical oh, wow. version. And that's to your that's point- That's what that happens. Exactly. But I, but, but John Michael, I, to your point, I think that um, what I was reading about the director's cut, which is like 30 to 40 minutes longer- Yeah, it's um, 173 minutes. Is it, it the, yeah, the is, it, is it, is it, yeah. is it, 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 I think it puts its, its foot too much in the melodrama- Oh, wow. And mm, sure. apparently... Okay, this is a great example. Now I want to go back and watch the director's cut. Yeah. Editing right. is huge. Exactly. Right. And like exactly. The, the choices you make as an editor, this is what I mean. So I, I think we're over, and especially me as an editor, we should we should mention, you know, we should probably go up and look and see who... It was edited by Mario Mora. Mario Mora probably is the person who figured out how to earn You're right. that melodrama and yeah. toe the line between... You know, um, between you know, schmaltzy and yeah. and serious and grounded, and and it's hard to do. It's so hard to so do. So, what's your like, experience in that? I mean, you've cut for over ten years. Is it is yeah. it time? Is it letting it simmer and you come up with inspiration? How do you do that? 
I, there's one movie that I did in particular that I can think of that I don't want to necessarily out because I don't think it, it turned, I think we didn't earn it. We set out to like make an earned melodrama and I think it went too far over the line. And I think what, what I learned was, is, is just like, you know, knowing where to cut out of a scene, knowing yeah. where to cut a line of dialogue. Like you're a lot at, of times, yeah. a lot of times with melodrama, it's not about saying the line. It's about getting the look on the face. Right. Um, and so I would imagine the director's cut of this, which is 45 minutes longer, has a lot more breath. Yes. And in those breaths, you lose some of, you know, the you potency, lose just, the succinctness. Yeah. Yeah. You lose some of those succinctness. Yeah. And um, it's like, when, okay, let's go back to the Italian. If you're making a sauce, it's a tasty. If you're making a tasty sauce, no, I'm serious. My wife would, would tell you, you know, my wife's family is Italian. They owned an Italian restaurant. They were immigrants from Italy, owned an Italian restaurant in Westwood for 50 years. Wow. Right? Her Nona, who's 96 years old and still alive. I, in fact, Nona, my, my, my wife's Nona, when I was watching this movie, I thought of her because a lot of the stories made me nostalgic of the stories she told me. And it felt like I was watching Nona's childhood. Yeah, pe- um, people should watch this movie for the little slice of Italy at that time. Of Italy during World War II. Yeah. And Sicily being its own little place that's kind of removed from the whole Mussolini thing was interesting. But, um, you know, when my wife makes a sauce... Uh, and it, it, she's tasting it every every mm. ten minutes. Every time she puts in an agreement, she's the she's, she's the sauce it. editor. She's the sauce, so- but that's the <laughs> editing. And my point is, the only way you find how to earn the melodrama is you just experiment. Yeah, and you just get into the cut and you figure out where to shave lines and just do a look or get out of a scene a little bit earlier. And you just keep working and working and working it until you find the sweet spot. And sometimes it's hard to find, and sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't. There's all these forces that are working for and against that pursuit you know directors have their own ideas producers have their own ideas editors have their own ideas um you know and you just have to find the sweet spot like i think you know giuseppe tornatore you know and his editor mario mora found in in the in the theatrical cut found the sauce i mean it's it's just perfect right Right. I mean, I mean, to, to be honest, like, and this is like, sorry to, to do a, you know, like a Sean Jones uh, sidebar, but um, I honestly felt that way about Cameron Crowe's extended version of Almost Famous. Like, you've got the theatrical version that's 123 minutes, I think, and then the one that's called Untitled which would be the director's cut is like 160, 170 something minutes. And when you're watching it, it's like, it's got these moments that it's just like, what? Oh, we, yeah, we don't need this. Like, this is like you're slamming on the brakes. You know why that is? And I, I think this is my, my experience as an editor who's had director's cuts and who's, you know, had editor's cuts. You know, and it's not any fault of the director, but a lot of times the directors fall in love with minutia that is very rewarding for them, but that doesn't necessarily come, that minutia doesn't come across to the audience in a rewarding way. So, like, for instance, like, as a director, you could get really enamored with this shot that you had you know, this, this stat, this tracking shot through, uh, through, and it might've been one of your hardest days on set. And like the, the feeling you got when you finished that day on set might've given you the serotonin kick in your brain that says that was the Holy grail of the whole shoot. But the editor doesn't have that feeling, doesn't have that serotonin because he wasn't on set or she wasn't on set. So she realizes, or he realizes that that is not helping, you know, ultimately get to where we need to go. And, and the director's in my experience, a lot of times 
don't have that ability to cut off that serotonin kick in the brain. And and so the the result is you get a lot, to me, I I very rarely have ever watched a director's cut and thought it was better than the theatrical. And, And, you know... I think that has a lot to do with just the way, you know, the director's brain works and, and it, and that's not their fault. That's they're living with an idea through the very beginning of reading a script to like imagining dreams in their head of what the movie's going to look like. And then, you know, going through this whole process. So they, so the director's cut is a, is a, a reflection of that. But you're, you're better, you're smart if you can let go, if you can get outside of yourself, if you can detach from ego, if you can let your, your, your comrades in, you know, battle of creating this story do their job and allow it. You know, I think that's, uh, I think it's, you, it's a task. You have to be aware of it and you have to keep your mouth shut and you have to let people be better or make you better. Um, exactly. That, that's, the, that's the beauty of collaboration. Yeah. The other thing I was, I'm kind of say, jumping, but this film is such an example for me of all-time greatest film list. Like, this deserves its place, you know. It's so, it ju- we've said it three times, but it just, across the board, everything, everything hums so beautifully. It's such a treat. I'm surprised I, it took two decades to watch it. I don't know. I think I've, I probably liked it a little bit less than you guys did. I don't, I didn't, I, I liked it a lot. I, I I wouldn't put it in my favorite movies of all time. I would put it in. Uh, I would certainly say it deserves to be in a list of one of the greatest movies of all time, depending on your definition of how large a list that should be. But I mean, th- these are arbitrary conversations. But um, I definitely, to me, this movie is a warm cup of cocoa that I just sit down with and just like feel feel like warm and whole and like it's a lasagna baby it tastes good i think well i think i actually i actually i'll i'll go for it uh i've I've got a criticism and it and it 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 keeps it from being one of my you know it's not a it's i went you know for my personal rating on letterboxd i went four and a half i think i went four and a half i went four yeah, what'd you go, Zach? What'd you put? I, I'm rating it right now, and I'm swayed by John Michael. I think, uh, I think it's, a, I think it's about. You think a it's four. a four? Yeah, a four. Yeah, well, we're all floating around four, well, four and a half. Okay, but go ahead, Sean. Yeah, go ahead. Say there, what you're gonna say. There, uh, I think it suffers from a weak second act. I think that, um, I mm. think everything involving Toto and everything involving yeah. uh, older Salvatore is brilliant and beautiful and moving and affecting. But when That's you get to that, teenage, you're saying that you're saying. Loves- y- you seeing the girl? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Hang oh. on. When, when you get to that teenage love story, um, I think that's where it suffers from having its foot heavy on the melodrama side. And I, right. I found myself thinking, like, okay, this is you know everything with Toto and Salvatore and older Salvatore felt um, it still felt possible. Like it still felt like it could happen in this world. But anything with the, that teenage Toto, it kind of felt more cinematic in a okay now you're now you're falling into the to the spell but That's can just i my play devil's take. advocate can i play devil's advocate and tell you why i think that works really well okay i get what you're saying about the melodrama and even the way they shoot the girl she's got all these diffused filters on her she looks very glowy very like the 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 Marconi score which is great does get a bit schmaltzy in those moments where you know it does feel Let's put it like that. To me, I felt the 80s coming into the yeah, movie. Yeah, sure, right sure. And some of that schmaltzy uh, 80s kind of like story of the week started coming to the forefront. However, what I think is really smart about the way they wrote this movie and what that narrative says 
And the way it ties into Toto's idea of quintessential Hollywood romance is so great. It's like, it's, it's what Toto is looking for, right? He wants to be the Humphrey Bogart of the movie, kissing the damsel, you know, over the bridge, which they have the beautiful moment in the movie where it's raining and, and the way they even shoot it looks like straight out of, you know, a 1940s noir kind of like romance. Like, I think it's, it's, it's necessary for Salvatore's, Salvatore's, uh, Toto's narrative of, of becoming a man through the fantasy of Hollywood because his whole world has been built up in the room in this cinema paradiso where he has built this fantasy world of Hollywood versus reality. And it is this blending of wanting to leave this little small town in Sicily to live the big Hollywood life. And I think that second act, it does drag and it does, it does go in a different direction than I a hundred percent feel. But by the end of the movie, when I don't want to spoil anything, but by the end of the movie, I felt I felt there was a nice little arc there that worked really well to me and that kind of, you know, dovetailed into the whole Hollywood thing. So maybe I liked it less than you because I <laughs> yeah, I don't quite I don't quite agree with that. Like it Well, it, the second act. You you the second act you liked less than me. Yes. Cr- cr- yeah, yeah, I thought that the the first act and third act were like masterpiece level and it it lost me in the second act. And I'm thinking act. of it as a as a whole and saying I just thought you know, that stuff was too that was too schmaltzy for me personally. Well, well and Sean I was right with you, Sean, and I think you, I, I had the same experience. That boy and Alfredo, the projectionist, are so charming. And from, from the first 40 minutes of the film when you're with them, it's like I'm watching a masterpiece. That's what I was feeling. Everything, everything lands. Everything is connected. Everything is so well thought out and, and, and executed. Um, and, and then the intercuts with the old guy, you know, grown-up Toto, Salvatore, that stuff was as full of gravity and beautiful and masterful. But when we got into these teenage years, I'd go out on a limb and say it's casting. I think it's the boy who was cast was the wrong choice. I agree. And I if completely we, agree. And if we had a different, you know, teenager, he was bringing the the yeah the, he he's pretty and he can is is doing something in the line of what he's trying to be, you know, uh, full of love in the James Dean way. But it all it's acceptable, but it's not exceptional. I agree. I agree with that, Zach. That was our problem. I think that's our problem. If if there was a different actor, it would have been masterpiece throughout. But you know what? Yeah, but you know what's you know what's great about movies is that John Michael, your reading of that second act. You're right. That's 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 beautiful. Like it, I'm sure if I, I'm sure if I were to go back right now and be thinking about, well, this is what John Michael got out of it, and hearing that interpretation and and putting that on there, I'm sure I would like it a lot more. But it, it's it's I, that's that's what I love about movies is it's like you 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 come out of it with your own experience, but then you can hear somebody else's experience of it, and and you can you can interpret it that way. Like I'm not sure that I would I would like it as like it. You know, as as much as you did, but I think that's a beautiful way to uh, uh, read that part of the film. But I'd go back to my point with the actor and just that further acting is fucking hard, and like that that age, you know, is probably the hardest time to really. You don't have a clue who you are, well, you know, from from or you you have your idea. Are you saying up when you're then. like around twenty years yeah, old? Yeah, from that, from seventeen yeah. to to mid twenties, you're really on 
quicksand and you're figuring it out and you're defining yourself and you're testing and you're and to be an actor at that time Sean and I have gone through it I just know my work it was probably the most challenging time you know to to really land my work so I can't really fault this guy for his pretty good performance you know it's like you'd have to have an amazing person there but but that little boy, I mean, please people can listening. It, can it, yeah, yeah, the go. little boy. Please people listening, watch the little boy. But I feel like we're also not giving enough shine to oh, Alfredo. Yes, oh, yes Alfredo, yes. the projectionist, yeah. is so good. He's like the two of them together yeah. is. Yeah. It's like Chaplin and Keaton. Like they're two. Mm. They work perfectly together, and like the image of that old man in the projection booth with the kid. When it's he, just when like he scares well, him. Remember when you, he scares him? Yeah. <laughs> you can just feel the care that. Okay, you know, it's it's usually it's like the care is sold through the words or the way it's directed. You know, like like basically you're you're orchestrating your audience to like to. Oh, okay, I get it. These guys care about each other, but these two really sell. That they love each other. Well, it's not selling. It's beyond that. I mean, to me, this is this is a lesson in acting, you know. And if Marlon Brando was the pinnacle because he was free in every moment, that's why Salvatore as Toto is makes this film work because the the finding of this kid was so brilliant that. Uh, that he makes Alfredo genius. You know, I, t- I told you guys this on a text thread that the FX series Fosse works because Michelle Williams has never been better and she makes Rockwell better than he's ever fucking been. So when somebody's clued in and somebody is, is charged with the Holy Spirit of acting, which is just <laughs> freedom moment to moment, everybody around them is fucking lit up. That's what, and, yes. That, that, know, no, and, no, that, 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 that's, you said exactly what I meant in just a much better uh, smart way. Like, yeah, I, th- I think you, they, that's what I'm saying is like they actually, they actually are, are, they actually care about each other. And it's yeah. just like that relationship was so. Well, I, I would say not at first. It seems at first everybody in this movie just wants to beat children. Did you guys notice that? <laughs> oh, the thing with the mom though is so good. It's so good. But, but I just want to say, like, I was like laugh. I was laughing because yeah, Jen it felt grimaced. so Italian. Yeah, yeah. Like every kid in the movie was getting beaten by an adult. Oh yeah. And it was always oh, we, like, we got teacher abuse. Like, <laughs> we got parental abuse. Uh, I was like, got projectionist. Yeah, projectionist. <laughs> I was like, did, exactly. did, did people in Sicily just beat children mercil- mercilessly for the yes. for the sake of? I mean, for for s- control and teaching. Yes, I don't yes. know, but it seems like it. Right, but it was interesting because regardless of how much they beat the children, Toto just like you know loved Alfredo and like was so charmed. Yeah. And, and, oh yeah. And, yeah. You know, by him and, and the relationship was just. To me, that's the movie, and that's what the movie. If that didn't exist in this movie, it would it would just be. A but to, to me, I, I can't stop with this acting stuff. But like Alfredo, watch Alfredo. Just watch the boy. He is so tickled by him, and he's and he's just every single moment. I mean, it's what delicious acting is: moment to moment work. And like he can't ignore this boy. You're and right. It's it's You're amazing. Right. It almost feels like. Did you guys feel at all? It almost feels like in a weird way. I could see Alfredo and Toto being a Pixar movie. Sure. Yes. It's like you don't yes. even you don't even see, need they don't need to say anything. It could be like an, an yeah, like animated cl- like clown movie. work. Yeah, yeah. It's just like he has such warm eyes when he smiles, and that that broom bristle mustache that he has that kind of obscures the smile in his face. Oh yeah, and, and it's just like they were so. 
it's like this is his, <laughs> yeah but even beneath that you know like his aggressions toward him at first are so funny alfredo when he has those moments where he's like you know like like scaring him off or, or shooing him off or whatever there is still care behind those moments like they just they really they really that that relationship you know aside from the the whole communal experience that's that's encapsulated so well uh you're right their relationship totally makes this movie yeah it's uh worth noting uh if anyone was curious uh this won uh best foreign language film in 1989 uh academy award uh it also won the best foreign language golden globe it won the caesar award it won loads of baftas oh it's uh, a, it was so funny it opens the movie that way with all of the oh my god i got to festival say, listings yeah, i have never seen a movie I was laughing. roll the credits yeah. of all the the awards it's won but i loved it i love that that's how it opened oh my god it's so pretentious yeah, I, I, anyway <laughs> i have a point with with your listing of the foreign film winning that it's it's interesting to mark progress and and politics of of what's acceptable and accepted uh in the timeline because i think this movie made now would have been up for the best picture you know like it would have been brought to america don't we do that now don't we have foreign films yeah parasite one picture but i bet you it wasn't even nominated you know i don't i don't know that a movie like this would get made today Mm. i just don't i i don't i mean it may be i mean it's a hard. I mean, it's a hard sell. It's a movie about a kid and an old man, yeah. and uh, you know those rarely do those movies get made these days. Like, no, you're I, right. I, I mean, maybe it would, and and you know maybe it would be the the. But it deserves it. Don't get mm-hmm. me wrong. It deserves it. But our ecosystem is just so different. And Parasite, for how amazing that film is, it's a thriller. It's a genre film. Mm. Um, this film is to be perfectly blunt is like what you expect of 90s academy award winning mm. you know dramas like it, it is that quintessential it lives in the same world as forrest gump or like um you know these movies that are dramatic funny sad that kind of tick all the boxes young and old and have heart but um but i don't know i don't see these movies getting made much anymore yeah i think you're right well i think sad, that's a goddamn you know? shame yeah it, it is. is a shame it is a shame because uh movies like this deserve to be made yep. and, and sure i mean did. i definitely would recommend anybody who you know wants a warm toasty glass of cinema mm-hmm. um drink go, up go, <laughs> go drink up cinema paradiso because it is it's really fun and it's really it just it ticks all the boxes i think all right that does it for cinema paradiso that is a wrap uh Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed that. Next week, we're going to be talking about uh, a 1962 kind of horror thriller, uh, one of a kind. We're going to be watching Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, starring Betty Davis and Joan Crawford. And uh, yeah, kind of a seminal um, psycho Hollywood movie, you know, like two uh, aging actresses who are living in an old mansion in Hollywood kind of going at it. Sounds tasty. Before we go, uh, you guys seen anything that you want to recommend to to our listeners this week? I will plug, I think I've mentioned it before, but I finished Painting with John on HBO. This show is unbelievable. Yeah, you just will not There's only six episodes. If anybody, if you haven't watched it, please watch Painting with John. I think it's a perfect look at what being an artist means and is, and uh, I love it. Can I, can I just, I know this is so popular and, and, you know, he's, he's probably known as the godfather of podcasting, but I have 
re-fallen in love with What the Fuck with Mark Marin. And I would just recommend, if nobody has happened to listen to it at this at this juncture, go ahead and do that. Because it is, John Michael said it best, he, he's so good at getting these performers or creators to just drop whatever guard down and be so vulnerable and so open and honest, it's insane. And it's just, you're captivated the whole time. Hats off to Mark Marin. yeah. Hats off to Mark yeah. Marin. he's one of the best. Yeah. Um, killing the game. Uh, I, my <laughs> recommendation is gonna be, uh, I'm gonna recommend Jesus and the Black Messiah. Mm. Because, oh, I didn't see it uh, yet. Or Judas and the Black Messiah, not Jesus. Jesus, yeah. that changes the context of everything. All right, uh, that does it for us. We'll uh, see you next week. In the meantime, you can find us on social media. You can go to our Letterboxd. Uh, again, that's L-E-T-T-E-R-B-O-X, no E-D, dot com. Twitter and Instagram. And we're on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, you can you can find me at John Michael underscore Powell at Instagram. Where can they find you, uh, Zach? They can find me on Instagram and Twitter under my name. Yeah, just look up Zach Ray Sherman and look up Zach, and Sean Zach Jones has, has left social media, haven't you, Sean? Yeah, I love I love my profile up. Uh, so I'm I'm on Instagram as Sean Harrison Jones, but I I don't I have it deleted from my phone and never. I mean, Rosie has my password. Like I literally can't log into it. Um, yeah, but so I reach am out on, to Sean. Reach out to Sean on Instagram and he'll totally ignore you. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then where exactly. else are you? Where else are you, Sean? Go to my Vimeo.com forward slash Sean Harrison Jones. These two lovely fuckers did and gave me <laughs> two sweet views on my monologue, which hasn't. Oh, can hasn't... I, I can I do one shout out of things to go, watch? Well, go to 100 Monologues. Yes. Um, who Ooh, is Eric so Bogosian, the playwright oh, yeah. and actor, has done this amazing collection of monologues. And I saw Sean do a monologue on his Vimeo page, and I, and which was great. And that made me think and want to talk about 100 monologues, which is if you're an acting appreciator, you will eat this. This this episode, we keep talking about eating and drinking up all the tasty, it's tasty. things. It's so Just Italian, so tasty. baby. It's so Italian. Yeah. Anyway, it's a tasty I'm... meatball. And one last plug before I let everybody go. I do want to do a little bit of trumpeting. Uh, the film that I edited, Women as Losers, had its premiere at South by Southwest this week, and we are getting really great reviews. Amazing. Beautiful. Keep an eye out for it because I'm, I do think this one's going to get out there and you're going to have a chance to see it. You know? All right, guys. Let's pick it up next week. <laughs>